Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. Thank you for coming, ladies and gentlemen. And now, a reading from Joe Semino. I wanted to present a specific excerpt of, of the writings of Shozo Shimamoto about the theory of the curse of the brush from 1957. It's in connection with the Gutai group, a group of Japanese artists that formed a collective, and it is out of the text materiality as a part of the Whitechapel Documents of Contemporary Art, and is edited by Petra Lang Burnt. On brief consideration, it appears that paint is able to fulfill its function due to the existence of the brush. The path taken by the paint is due to the provocation of the brush, nothing but a long path of suffering, similar to the sad stories of factory workers who are oppressed by the machines and used up and worn out in their youth. No color exists which is not accompanied by material. I do believe, though, and am certainly not wrong in claiming this, that the idea of inventing a brush, whether in the East or in the West, was based on the idea that the essential being of the paint could be disregarded or at least held in strict limits and that the sole aim was to use the brush to bear the paint as such. But just as no line can exist without a certain width, no paint can exist without its material. Therefore, paint protested and put up resistance to the brush whenever and wherever possible. However, in all paintings, in which the brush was attributed with every increasing degrees of fineness and exactitude, until it appeared to have completely suppressed the paint, fragments of the essential nature of the paint can be discovered every now and again. At very distant points beyond the range of the brush's influence, it suddenly puts up resistance. In the cracks and peeling paint of the surface, or in unexpected color changes, we discover a substantial beauty of the paint. Applying paint with a spatula shows us clearly its essential quality. However, that is not yet the complete liberation of paint. Paint still remained the medium for presenting ideas. Today, we should no longer want to falsify the characteristics of the paint, whether it be oil or enamel paint. As has already been said more than once, no color exists without its substance. Whatever the representation of nature or the presentation of the artist's own ideas may have been, they were able to maintain their beauty despite the strong limitation of their qualities by the brush. I think that in the first place, one should liberate the paint from the brush. Paint cannot be liberated until the brush has been broken up and thrown away and distance has been gained from it. 
paint does not start to live until it is liberated from the brush. As an alternative to the brush, I think all possible devices and objects should be used. Quite apart from one's own hands and the paint spatula, I can also imagine the objects used by the Gutai group. Here, all sorts of things are conceivable. For example, a watering can, a vibrator, a Soroban calculating slide, umbrellas, rollers, toys, feet, a cannon, etc., etc. They could even include a brush. Such a brush could be a newly invented one, but there could be others differing little from the conventional brush. But one thing is certain that it would no longer be used to kill the very nature of the paint, but to revive the paint and let it live. Thank you. Wow. A very... Wow. Uh, what, what an excerpt. Uh, yeah, thank, you for, thank you for sharing that. And I guess that is a great way to introduce uh, today's exhibit, if, uh, if I do say so myself. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, mm -hmm. for, for curing this. And again, thank you. Um, well, I guess praise to the collected book of materiality by the White Temple <laughs> Gapul again. And, and Shozo uh -huh. Shimamoto, because these are not my words. I am just the device mm -hmm. for reading. But I think mm -hmm. it's a very interesting... You're, you're in, in this metaphor, are you the brush? <laughs> I guess so. And the, and the writing <laughs> is the material? Um, I guess I your guess? mouth is the brush the sound is the paint yeah but yeah today we are talking of it, it th this is a really interesting way to kind of introduce uh our uh exhibit today absolutely mainly because we want to talk about the relationship of art to the objects it is made of mm -hmm. what i've curated for us today is actually uh, a collection of prank objects put in contemporary <laughs> white cube exhibition space by, you know, basically uh, bored people that want <laughs> to photograph gullible tourists. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think we, in one sense, we get the temptation to want to mock uh, contemporary art for ready-made mm -hmm. something that contemporary arts had for you know uh you know over a century now but if we want to talk about the things that art is actually made out of the goods and material that have to go into producing an art object this is a really great way to start off that conversation and start off that mm -hmm. line of thinking i mean we it's it, to to me it's an interesting question from the sake of the brush like what type of value that has to um you could see, very easily see someone paying a lot of money if they were like uh i have uh vermeer's brush i oh, have yeah. van gogh's brush you know, right, right, yeah. You could see a collect uh, collectors wanting to have that, but obviously that is not as valuable as the painting that the brush <laughs> presumably made. Right, yeah. And I, I think it's much more tricky when you get into music because obviously 
I, I think just recently, was it uh, David Gilmore from Pink Floyd just auctioned off a bunch of his guitars? Oh, really? I didn't heard about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Including the uh, the Black Stratocaster. Oh, the, the really famous one. And, you know, obviously all of that stuff is going to sell for oodles and oodles of money. You yeah, know, for uh, sure. Lots of famous guitarists have auctioned off their their stuff for charity before, you know, and people are willing to pay a ton of money for it. But in that case, it's curious to me what exactly you are buying with those guitars, because obviously they're collectors' items by themselves as mostly vintage instruments. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they are significant for having been owned by famous people. Mm. And and yes, they modify them. This is immensely complex, but I'm curious like I that's not something that I feel a desire to buy if I had you know uh hundreds of thousands of dollars to blow on uh rock memorabilia. I think in that way a lot of memorabilia does not appeal to me because i i don't assume that possessing the guitar that is playing on wish you were here in any way enhances my enjoyment of that song right right yeah it's it's really interesting breaking it down that way and i feel like it's why Mm -hmm the text is so relevant to this exhibition and to this, mm-hmm. this one that you've curated Zan. And, and so um, I think precisely nailed <laughs> in ideation mm-hmm. of this, but you know, I think of when I think of that, of the instrument, uh, mm-hmm. whether that's the brush or the guitar of mm-hmm. a musician, right. It's, it, it reminds me in a, in my dropping my academic attitude for a hot minute. It reminds mm-hmm. me of the Portlandia episode where they do a skit where it's, um, Oh, what's his name? Um, is when when Fred Armisen <laughs> is building the studio. Yeah, yeah, and he's like, they have this on yes. pet sounds. They have this on pet. Do you have this on pet sounds. Yeah, and it's like, but Did like, you listen to that, and he's like, he's like hitting the drum. He's like, yeah. listen to that. Yeah, listen to that. Listen to that. You hear it? Sounds like pet sounds. It's it's it is the gear. <laughs> yeah, it is it is the absolute like you know musician gearhead approach to. You know, it's you know what it mm-hmm. is. It's the idea of if I have the tools that they had it will sound just yeah. as good. And that is... Yeah. Well, yeah, but but you and I are also fans of musical instruments, I oh, think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I think it's deeper than, than the... Yeah, yeah, it is, like, I love playing a Telecaster, um, and it is in part due to my love of Bruce Springsteen. Sure. I don't... I don't have like a desire to own his Telecaster. Yes, that's what I wouldn't I... say. You know what? I wouldn't say no if you offered it. To me. <laughs> um, right. What am right. I? What am I going to do? Play it? Touch it? No. Like, you're am, gonna am I allowed? Am I allowed to? Would it be? Yeah. That's the. That's the thing. And like I, I think what's kind of interesting here when it gets into the the. Because I, I feel like in this exhibition, you know, discussion that we're having inside the space mm-hmm. regarding it and this deeper questions, mm-hmm. it's 
in a in a way i feel like we have to tackle this in parts because mm -hmm. you know as you bring mm -hmm. up the instrument the catalyst the brush the guitar or you know yeah. we're talking about the brush specifically but it could be anything in the right. the tool that you create with yes i think is so it's an interesting starting point before we get into yeah. maybe even the material we talk about the tool the the object yeah. the not the 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 instrument so yes cuz it is that question of will this guide me to creation mm. or will it will just it trap channel you? you or ch will yeah ch channel will you. it channel you or will it trap you yeah you know i'm recalling now one of the first and you might have even been there for this but one of the first critiques i got as a painter in grad school was of the kinds of brushes i was using i had brought the set that i had had really since midway through uh undergrad where i was like i need to get dedicated decent oil brushes and right. you know at the time was mm -hmm. a bit of an investment for me and i still have some of those but they were all flats because i just wanted as much control as possible I wanted to hide a lot of my brush strokes. I wanted to, um, I, I I had sort of this idea of a of a naturalist look to my work, right? And this this was a slightly hyperbolic comment, but one of our professors said, "Fascists paint with flat brushes." <laughs> <laughs> I remember, yeah, that was. That was so jarring. <laughs> yes, yes. No, it is a very jarring thing to hear, um, but maybe a necessary one totally, because yeah. flat brushes, while great for many things, trap you in a certain way of painting and mm -hmm. understanding space and understanding the act itself. So yeah. I, I, I like your I like your use of the word trapped. Yeah. Rather than, you know, now that I understand when a flat brush is called for and when a round, when a filbert. Still not still not a big fan of fan brushes, but maybe not one a fan day. brush person. No, me yeah, either. Not, not a fan, a fan of a fan. Not, not a fan of fans. <laughs> oh man. Maybe I guess I need to do more like Bob Ross landscapes. Maybe. Uh, but that that un understanding that uh there there is a certain obsession that goes into painting with only flats that ultimately you know uh ends up with a not very interesting painting often yes. uh yeah but also understanding you are not a fascist if you only use flat brushes but it would be useful to understand what it is about that way of painting and that narrow of scope mm -hmm, mm -hmm. was favored by fascist painters yeah it's it is definitely one of those comments that like what's interesting is it wasn't even directed at me and i remember you telling me or i might have been there i don't remember exactly but like mm -hmm. it's also stuck with me beyond mm -hmm. i think even painting because it's a very mm -hmm. it was a very strong piece of advice and honestly i think kind of accurate blunt mm -hmm. which follows yeah. in that in that way but necessary mm -hmm. that yeah you know it would be 
because because what does that show it's that the expression of the painting the per, the artist's brush strokes mm-hmm. the movement is hidden it is flattened mm-hmm. literally you know yeah. I, it is covered up and made to be mm-hmm. the picture and the representation and and mm-hmm. that yeah that i i see that you know up as a part of in in the case of what we we're talking about your work but also then the openness of of the expression coming in later and the you know allowing mm-hmm. for brush strokes to make their mark in the point i feel like eventually opens up the um mm-hmm. the picture more or in the case of if we're just talking about a more abstract artist or mm-hmm. anybody you know mm-hmm. not an abstract artist but a person who we have no idea of a a, right. uh, a hypothetical i'm lacking my yes. words um <laughs> you know a hypothetical like situation of an artist painting you know it's it's easy to i think fall into that trap of i think using the paintbrush as a way of depicting the real or of depicting Mm -hmm. a situation and then losing the Mm -hmm. meaning of the paint itself and losing the connection to the material you're you're painting with like Mm-hmm. You know, that I feel like is where this is going with the text. And yeah, the- I think, again, another piece of advice, different professor this time in undergrad, you know, and I think he meant more of it to like get us to stop treating each piece of art as something sacred. Mm. Um, But the advice he kind of was lending was it's just mud. You know, oh. what you're doing is squishing mud around on a surface to make it look like something that's all it is and you know even more so you know you could look at ceramics that way as well there's uh this this sort of idea of a human impulse to fight against entropy against uh the 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 settling of sediment that you are alive and you are creative and you are arranging that sediment in a way to say something, to transform it and elevate it, you know, that's a very uh, kind of... that that That's another very romantic way to look at what mm. you do as an artist. That, um, And I mean, it's also just, a, from a mechanic standpoint, it is a good way to think about uh, painting in terms of you are painting with mud the more medium hmm. or water the more watery it will be the more sediment the more dirt the thicker you know it's yeah it 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 really is you are paint is mud and i like this idea that you've that you started us off with of you know the art becoming after it has left the brush after you've made mm-hmm. the mark after it becomes something uh greater than the sum of its parts it becomes yeah. something beyond its own definition because i don't think we can uh divorce our current conception of representation from you know the idea that uh you paint a bird is it a bird no it is a painting of a bird right <laughs> Is it a pipe, right? Yes, you know? this this is not a pipe. The, you know, this is this is going back a ways in art history, but understanding the treachery of images is essential to understanding why painting is no longer um, enormous canvases of 
uh, men on horseback, you know, mm. uh, understanding that we now approach painting as an act itself, uh, you know, beyond what is just uh, its representation, what it mm. is a painting of, you know, this could be to the extremes of the abstract expressionists in like the 40s and 50s. Yeah. But we've definitely returned to figuration, especially in the last uh, uh, few decades. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, we are willing to entertain those representations again, uh, but we have not forgotten what was learned before. You know, right. love or hate Pollock, there is... Uh, there, there is... For, for lack of a better word, an expression uh, that <laughs> has one way been, to call it <laughs> that has been left on our idea of painting that mm. if a painting is not the thing that you are representing, what is it? Is mm. it a Pollock? Is it a Mondrian? Is it uh, a Duchamp? You know, uh, if you take away the representation and just bring it back to paint on a canvas. Is that all it takes to be a painting? Uh, what are what are the possibilities within that scope? Totally. Yeah, yeah. that is... Yeah, that's a great way to, to put it um, and to asking these questions and posing these mm -hmm. questions about what is a painting. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it just... It, it brings up so many possibilities and then so mm -hmm. many, you know, ways of doing that. And I feel like as well with the, with the reading, you know, mm -hmm. that is essentially the question being asked of like, mm -hmm. okay, well, you know, if the brush is the trapping in this sense, or if it's restricted mm -hmm. to this type of painting, like what can mm -hmm. you do to express if painting is just, is, is pigment is material that has with it this level mm -hmm. of expression that we've, as humans have been doing since beginning of time, quite literally, uh, mm -hmm. what does that mean? Cause you're not painting with, well, I actually don't know, but I'm going to assume, you know, they're not going to have the new synthetic brushes back in the stone age. Uh, that wouldn't exactly <laughs> be a thing. I don't know if right. even there's, there's brushes to be in with, there might've been, or different materials would have been used for mark making, which is incredibly fantastic in and of itself. I, um, mm -hmm. I think that, is the the now you know with new materialism and with even like i think anthropocene and capitalistine conversations coming up mm -hmm. in contemporary art and practices especially around painting because of the I, again mm -hmm. painting never died but you know there is a resurgence of painting and biennales and such that are like major you know like yeah. michael um michael armitage you know mm -hmm. the yes. artist from who works Kenya. a lot he is from yeah the artist from Kenya yeah. who, you know he he works with a very you know specific material. Um, yes, and I feel like that too is is really I forget exactly it's, it's what made, it is. It's but... made from tree bark. Right, uh, right, right. It's a traditional. Um, it's not a textile because it's not woven, but it has been historically used by uh, the 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 tribes of Kenya as a. As sort of a a quasi fabric, a uh, basically specially removed tree bark, and mm. he's painting on that and using the textures and the sutures 
as part of the te- uh, uh, as part of the topography of the painting surface. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the, I mean, he's he's an artist that I think left a big impression on both of us, you know, learning oh, yeah. about him in class and then getting to see his work uh, at the Venice Biennale. And and his his work is is interesting for a, a great number of reasons, and mm-hmm. he's also a a, a great. It, it, it's he's he's also a great painter on top of his surfaces being interesting. Oh which yeah, is which is fantastic to find. You know, <laughs> uh, someone who's someone whose ability is on par with their with their concepts. Oh yeah, you it's know, so nice. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, when 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 you find a painter that can. Um, that can execute something in the scope of it, you know? Um, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It's because it, it can go wrong so fast, like, and it can get right. weird really quickly. Mm-hmm, and he mm-hmm. never even gets close to that. It is so, because, mm-hmm. because you know what was so special about this painting? What is so special about this paintings, you know, is that you get a sense of the materiality of them and it yeah. makes you aware that painting is a material yeah. act. It's from something. And, yeah. you know, it's it's partially what has fascinated mm-hmm. me with this exhibit. And you and I have had that question too of like, mm-hmm. and, and, and this conversation, honestly, about this, of, you know, paint comes from somewhere. And whether yes. you wear a uh a, a, an artist's assistant in the early renaissance gathering pigments and are gathering mm-hmm. you know materials to make pigments with if it's bugs or lapis lazuli right you know yeah. you are crafting your colors and and mm-hmm. making them for something i had a friend in um when i was an undergrad and i was studying abroad who was a painting major and she showed us in a demo um how to make your paint from pigment how to buy the pigment you know well Mm -hmm. not how to buy it but like how to use pigment that you could buy so in Mm -hmm. and actually um you know putting in the different medium in this case oil and mixing it properly Mm -hmm. so you actually get a Mm -hmm. color and she was talking about why she uses it for um to get like in between colors or shades that were just so beyond what a tube processed could make even if it was from hand like there's mm-hmm. kind of these set codes to paints and pigments. And then if you use that original material, you, you could kind of go beyond it. Um, yeah. And it's so fascinating to me. And also having watched it, I was like, oh yeah, paint is dust. It is, it is, <laughs> it is this <laughs> material that leaves a mark. It's like when you're a, a kid or, you know, young mm-hmm. adult and you're playing with like stones on a surface and you can scratch into them and you leave a mark. And it's that like, mm-hmm. whoa, mm-hmm. like I'm drawing. And it's, it's, yeah, there's something so like spectacular about that. Yeah. And I, and I think like that's often forgotten when, and it's not necessarily anybody's particular fault who's mm-hmm. participating in this, but like mm-hmm. if you don't live, in an area or have access to material like that where you could craft paint by hand or use mm-hmm. material pigments that were, you know, mm-hmm. made to be blended like in that case. Cause in Italy that was widely yeah. available because it was encouraged and it's history mm-hmm. of tempura painting. But yeah, you know, in the U S and where I was from and went to school, mm-hmm. you're, you didn't get, you either ordered online from like Dick Blick or you went to Michael's and you were getting what they had and it was incredibly industrialized paints and they were cheap and they worked, but you know, 
Mm-hmm. A lot of that's toxic and not great. And also, not th- not that that like necessarily is what I'm trying to say in terms of the argument, but like, yeah, I, d- I don't know, I don't know how much less toxic, you know, your homemade <laughs> cadmium red is. No, no, um, I, I mean, yes, obviously, <laughs> yes, but this, this is this is home ground lead. This is <laughs> you, you none could, of that factory you know farmed you, lead. You, yeah, yeah, no, this isn't any of that factory made lead white. I would eat this. I would. I I, I put a little bit in with my toothpaste. I hardly. Uh, the difference um <laughs> oh no. yeah, you know, I, yeah i i've 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 gone blind but yeah. <laughs> it was worth it was worth it yeah well this is an interesting thing that i confronted fairly early in grad school which was the yeah. i think uh i i had read art in the age of mechanical reproduction in undergrad was kind of not very i don't i don't think very impressed with it but when we did in graduate school with a little more context we read um kind of an accompanying uh boris grice Mm. uh piece about it you know sort of talking about it a hundred years later yeah um you do start to understand the impulse of the ready-made stuff because as an artist, you want to think, I want to make my own stuff, Mm, you know, that mm. I want to make something that I feel that I have some kind of ownership over. Um, And if you're a painter, you know, this can come in the form of, I want to make my own paints, but since most people don't have access to a lot of that stuff, it's down to... Uh, I have to make my own canvases. I even know people that are like, if you're not building your own canvases, it's someone else's object. Um, which oh, is an, an interesting, interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting take. <laughs> yeah, um, I was okay. Go, yeah, going to school at MSU, uh, obviously there's because of be, because of its situation in the mountains, and also, uh, you know, them having Josh Deweese a big part of that pro of that um, program is to dig your own clay for your own glazes that like you're throwing and making something that you dug out of the ground, you know, yourself. Uh, the, the thing that starts to get a little hairier though, is when you start to realize in your pursuit of some kind of purity of something that is wholly yours you realize that there is no part of the process that is untouched by industrial produced objects, mm-hmm. tools, or material right. um, in your process of making something that you want to claim ownership of. Um, and this is th- this can be a little anxiety-inducing, honestly. The fact that... Uh, that we're not really capable of making anything wholly our own. Um, And I think once you get past that anxiety, you realize, oh, well, that's because, you know, uh, we're humans, we're communal creatures. It's not your singular job to make every single thing. Right, right. And that's, I think, the more realistic way to look at this because you know if if you go back in time artists even in a pre-industrial age did not have time to make every single thing no and they had lots of assistants to do things yes they which... had lots of assistants but you know if you're painting 
all day. You don't necessarily have time to grow all the food that gives you the energy to paint. Right, uh, right. No, make make your own clothes. Um, <laughs> you don't make your own clothes. <laughs> I mean, I I tried. I took one weaving class. I'm getting there. Um, Hi there. My name is Colby White, and I'm one of the hosts from Force Football Facts podcast where my friend Zachary and I force our other friend Tyrell to give us insights into the game, even though he doesn't know anything about it. We use our humor to bring you weekly football news in a new way that takes fan opinions into account, while also helping new fans understand why we love this game so much. You can check us out on our website, forcefootballfacts.com, or wherever podcasts are available. Hope to see you soon. Bye. But okay, but even bringing the the weaving into it, like, do you think when you stretch a canvas and you're like, this is mine, do you, like, sit there and think about, like, the, the, the impossibility it sometimes seems of textile manufacturing and the insanity of how easy and cheap it is to produce in the modern age? Uh, when it was, you know, one of the one of the most expensive things in the past. Yeah. Uh, and we just paint on it. We just <laughs> we cover it in gesso and and paint on it. There's something like kind of. I think what struck me was there was almost something kind of violent about mm. the act of painting. Um, oh, wow. in yeah. in the way that you have to change these raw materials through your own hand and through industry to make a piece of art uh and I, I don't mean violence in the way that like painting is unsustainable we should stop painting i mean in in the way that there's this enormous invisible action that uh, or in, in series of actions that go that that precede you being able to even do the gesture of painting hmm and I think I think that was what I was stuck on for a while, and I wanted to find like um, discarded textile objects and paint on them for a while, just kind of trying to understand what what I am doing if I am making art out of things that I myself did not make. But I still wanted to make art. I didn't want to have a defeatist attitude about it. But it is a thing to consider when we talk about self-sufficiency and uh, and sustainability mm. going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 really interesting what you're saying and and um and how you're saying it, right? And making and and thank you for these examples too because it helps clarify, I think, a lot mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of this and. You know, but even with the with the the materials, like you're saying, or like the 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 people who say that you know, if you don't stretch your own canvas, it's not painting. It's because it's somebody else's. Art. I mean, the, you start to break. <laughs> you're gonna break that down, and it's it's like this. Uh, do you know what it reminds you me? You have of? to grow. You have to grow the trees to cut them down. Mill your own stretcher bars. Right, but they're not your trees, and it's not your <laughs> land, and it's not your earth. And how does this? Like, how far does it go? Like. I'm, uh, we're we're going we're going to follow all of this very far back. You are only a painter if you can find <laughs> your ancestral homeland. Yeah, uh, and and start a garden. Right. Grow, 
grow four pine trees um <laughs> wait till they're wait till they're large enough cut them down Don't, mill yeah. those four trees into the four sides of your canvas <laughs> um i guess now you have to start uh growing flax because obviously you don't have much space so you have to grow those pine trees first now you've got to grow a harvest of flax now you have to process the flax you uh uh, you have to red it uh then you have to turn it into uh thread then you have to weave it then you can stretch it now that you have your canvas now i guess you need to find a gypsum mine so you can get some gesso yeah Uh, this this is getting very um the list goes on and on and on and on like it's it's i guess you can you can build your loom maybe while you're waiting for I the mean, flax to grow maybe but then you're going to be like 90 years old by the time you get to make your first painting yeah, may, yeah. if you're lucky if you speed run this the, <laughs> the, like you know the point is it's like at what point is the material the original and from and and found and made in this authentic way can materials be taken it may be taken to the wrong word but like used that were already made and transformed mm. or can they be acknowledged even because i don't know like mm-hmm. that's the thing i feel like that is what i'm trying to get at with the idea yeah. of the material of painting because it doesn't mean that we should have to go out into the earth make our own pigments which is a violent act in and of itself given that some of them are from like actual bugs which i think is crazy and like but not that this is like a bad thing well maybe it is i think it is but i think red dye and m&ms is made from bugs like that's crazy that these these pigments are from living things and they're killed and then we use them to paint things it's it's violence it's violent painting is violent i think the way you said that was was well put and obviously not for the direct sense of violence in this but like even deeper meanings it's Mm -hmm. it's it's something all painters should consider it's something all artists should also consider because you know where you get your materials and what you do with them is really important Mm -hmm. and that impact of them will by definition set the stage for how the artwork is going to be read i was never a materialist and I still aren't, I don't know if I'm a materialist, but like I was never into like materials, materialism, or even considering it in art school, like in undergrad at all. Mm-hmm. And even in my early career, like I was not captivated by that in my practice. I was interested mm-hmm. in the image. I was interested in, in drawing. And that's why I was working digitally so much and drawing digitally because materials got in the way and they were expensive. And mm-hmm. digital was my, pixels were my material. Mm-hmm. And... I feel like that's why, in a bit, I was unsatisfied with some of the works and also that things get read so differently. And I never understood Mm -hmm. that. Like, well, this is accessible and printing is, you know, printing has its own history and its own cheapness and its own idea. And then when I started considering material as such an important factor in art making, you know, whether you agree or not, it is, right? It's the thing Mm -hmm. you're making something out of. Mm-hmm. It has a lot of more impact than we often will look into. It's kind of the whole thing of even landscape paintings being made out of industrialized pigments, some, and they're depicting you know these serene, beautiful nature scenes. In in New Jersey, for instance, growing up, that was a big thing of ocean scenes because that's what you make money doing yeah. in New Jersey, and it makes sense. It's got <laughs> a long history, and there's no no hate or even like 
Well, like, yeah, you know, that that is like a big tradition. And it's kind of ironic in a little bit, though, like mm-hmm. what it's coming out of, where pigment comes from, what you're painting. And right. and I think that it's not necessarily a dig on these paintings or this this entire genre of painting, but it's an mm-hmm. observation. And it's a curiosity yeah. of, okay, you are painting... You are painting what you are seeing with materials from the earth. What does that yes. imply? Deeper yeah. than just imagery. And how can we reflect on that? Yeah, and the, the, the idea that you could be a painter that loves the... And, and this is... Like, yeah, I think I also share the sentiment that this is not you know, meant as a, an, an attack on, on the hypocrisy of you know landscape painters yeah yeah uh, you know that this is something we all have to deal with you know that you can paint uh, a picture of a beautiful serene uh preserved landscape made with materials that had to be mined right um at some point you know it's sort of our problem of uh you know Obviously, we want to protect the environment and uh, indigenous peoples and everything. Um, but you know, in in th- there's there's not a question necessarily. You're not seeing the same question. Then okay, well then, what are we going to do for the immense amount of materials and resources that? Uh, we uh, want to extract because we're also familiar with sort of the false rhetoric that you know we're we're killing the ocean because we use plastic straws um (laughs) which you know if, if you're really like looking into the environmental issues that face the earth it's really like a handful of individuals and corporations that are responsible for most pollution on earth yes yes that being said we are going to have to change our behaviors and our habits like if totally. we want to make things better it's not it's not on us as individuals but you know in general single use plastics are you know while maybe not going to be eliminated because there are some things that you kind of just need them for mm-hmm. but it's going to have to be something that is drastically curbed yeah you know, that the, there's you can entertain both of those uh things and, and you're going to have to entertain both of those things you know right right absolutely um so we we want to be very careful i guess when we're talking about being critical of artists because obviously the 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 artist that's that's painting you know the 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 impact done by that is minimal compared to <laughs> you know right right uh the, the uh tesla you know trying to uh extract lithium from south america yeah uh, yeah you know th- this this is we're talking about things in different scales but we should be aware of it nonetheless um it's it's something to keep in mind and we're we're not here to guilt trip people no no because we're we're also hypocrites oh Um, yeah all the time i mean yeah (laughs) but it it, it's like it's not about 
Because there's no real like answer. It's awareness. Mm-hmm. That's all it is mm-hmm. at the end of the day when dealing with materiality. It's awareness mm-hmm. of what you're using and what it means. Yeah. It's my whole... I think, mm-hmm. you know, Zan, you're a part of my revelation on this too. But like, I, I mean, we've talked about this. Like when we first met, I was... I don't know if I was strictly vegetarian at the time, but I was very much in that mindset. And never in a... I'm very bad at following things by like a creed. It's why I never got down with religion because it was like mm. too difficult for me to not be interested in other sex of that, like of other things, of other ideas on creation and, and living and spirituality. And, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the, in having tried veganism for like a day and not liking it, and this is not a dig at any of these diets, <laughs> by the way, before we get into it. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's part of the reason why now I look at diet based in geographic location, history, mm-hmm. and yeah. necessity, as well as the connection that we have to the earth itself, to animals, mm-hmm. to yeah. how we treat our food and what we eat. And mm-hmm. it's not necessarily, it shouldn't maybe necessarily always be based in the idea of all living things must be preserved so we will eat synthetic food for the right. sake. And it's like, that doesn't feel natural. That feels industrial. Mm-hmm. Vegetarian right. is definitely not in that. Vegetarian, I'll say this, like you might just not like meat. And there's nothing wrong with that. And, and honestly, yeah. I, I don't eat meat that often at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't necessarily. Yeah. But it does mean that we shouldn't be eating meat every day because that was never really an option for many people living around the world. Um, depending on, of course, what kind of civilization. So, for instance, indigenous people would have. Like, um, you hear a lot of that argument about to, like, Mm -hmm. eat uh, that a whale, one whale could feed a village for, like, a winter. And so is it immoral to kill the whale? And that's a big question. And and obviously we're not Mm -hmm. going to talk about that right now because it's not what we're here for. But it's this... Not not to derail, but, like, the not to derail the whale but um (laughs) the 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 weird thing about whaling was it wasn't entirely unsustainable i am i am not advocating we (laughs) reignite the whaling i am not advocating but if you look at indigenous peoples yeah hunting whales which we can for obvious reasons we can give that uh that you know that is something that is done with it within a spiritual practice and also a an understanding of sustainability to some extent and also depending on the geographies you know sure it's because there's also plenty of you know species that have gone extinct wherever humans go on earth that's just a, that is just a fact of of human history right but like one thing I found interesting was more whales were killed in the 20th century than in the 19th century, than the era huh. that we think of as the height of whaling. That's weird. Uh, yeah, and I mean, it really is kind of the mid-century period, and it's the Russians doing it. Mm. Um, And that's, uh, it, it, it puts a different perspective on it. But, you know, an, an understanding that uh, th- these these were natural, renewable resources until we hit this point where resource extraction clearly was so far out of balance. Oh, yeah. 
yeah, and not not to say that the whaling industry of the 19th century did not do irreparable <laughs> harm. Um, right. But keeping these ideas, uh, the, these these things in our in our perspectives as we look back on history. Yeah. And we we can even look at this as farming practices and stuff. You know, looking at in in places uh, where you know there's there is damage that cattle have done to the environment but there is also a way to raise cattle that is beneficial for the landscape um yeah there's there's people that do you know run farms that work in tandem with the environment that is around them you know there are sustainable ways of raising animals and you know there's unsustainable ways of raising plants there's <laughs> there's multiple ways to do all of this stuff and i think also um you know you can hit a certain wall if you want to debate veganism which i'm not really going to do no no <laughs> you can hit a certain wall that says well animals are capable of feeling pain so we should never subject them to that uh and that and that's the end of the argument uh that animals can feel and you know that's that is something to be aware of and i think that we should not be without care in the animals we eat i think and and that we use uh, for material and stuff for you know for milk or wool, because mm -hmm. not only are those things sustainable and renewable, uh, I think we do ourselves a disservice if we are not in some kind of give and take relationship with other animals. In we again put this weird superiority yeah. right back on humans because I and I know this is this is a a tried argument and has been made in bad faith um and and I I, I want to be really clear I'm I mean it in good faith that animals are absolutely savage to each other uh and that is the nature of life you know that is you know all you need to do is watch you know animal planet watching zebras you know try to cross a river and like i i saw something so horrifying as part of like a, a the the other day i i like couldn't believe it and it's like haunted me of like <sighs> this zebra like just it's gotten out of the water but like the lower part of its body is like already been like disemboweled and you're oh just like god. oh my god just die just die everything like like just just please like end it end it oh. you know like have its suffering be over um and you realize that life but that is for the life and the sustaining of those crocodiles who are also beautiful creatures that are worthy of life right and that is a life and death work in tandem 
like mm. that. And it's extremely uncomfortable yeah. to talk about because we're human and we live aware of our mortality uh, constantly. <laughs> um, yeah, it's true. And, and, and that is our, and that is our curse ultimately. Mm. So we have a, maybe we have our perspective on death. I'm not advocating for like, you know, a call of humans, mm -hmm. but I, by the way, uh, but I, I, I want people to understand that we can't ignore death in the way that I feel like a certain, not all, but a certain strain of vegans want us to. Yeah. Because, you know, from, from what we're finding, apparently plants can feel things. Yeah, they can. They actually can. And it's, it's so good. So, so what are you going to eat? Nothing. Synthetic pills from the future. It'll be the Matrix. I'm not yeah. going to diss anybody for their, yeah, yeah, yeah. their and, beliefs. And I, know, I, I, I know this is, this, is get, this is getting a little off the rails. Or a little, a <laughs> it little always off turns this way. It always talks about you and me bashing on vegans. That, no, I don't know how it keeps we, happening. No hate, no hate. It, no well, hate. because I'll tell you, that we'll get it right back on track, and here's how. Mm -hmm. It's because food's a material. It's, yes. It, it, these, are, these are resources from the earth. These are the, kind of what we're mm -hmm. getting at. Everything is from somewhere. It's the, yes. it's the, it's the you know, are you going to grow your own pine trees or trees? That way you can have your own canvas and, sh and, and wood to build things out of, but you have to use the soil of the earth, and you have to know yeah. these do you know what i mean like it, it is all yeah. of everything we use in our daily lives is a material you're gonna grow you're gonna raise your own sable to like mm -hmm. use its fur for your brushes i guess i mean god could you imagine jeez it feels unnecessary i, I don't want to do point. that i i mean oh. why, why not we get some wild hogs nobody cares about wild hogs and boar bristle brushes are a thing mm. true yeah yeah, yeah. They're, they're invasive you know boars yeah yeah, they're like oh, yeah. brutal. I've recently oh, yeah. learned how. I mean, I not recently, but like every every year, it seems like I learn more facts about how boars are actually like terrifying and could easily kill you. Um, yeah, not to, not that I'm arguing we should go kill all the boars because no. What and, am I uh, supposed to do with these forty to fifty wild hogs? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um, yes, the, it, it's all. It's you're you're absolutely right. This is all material. And this is something that artists are, at least, you know, are artists of merit are aware of in contemporary times. Totally. Of, yeah. what, of what they of what they are doing and engaging with um, art that is objects that are readily made around us. You know, this yeah. is why there is confusion about like an artist bringing a wheelbarrow into an exhibition <laughs> space and saying it is art, you know? Right. Now, you could make arguments of if this is good art or not, you know? Totally, yeah. But it's it's quite boring to debate whether or not it is art. Um, mm. it, that that's, that's quite boring. It's whether or not it's good is maybe the more interesting question. But, but this is this is what what brings us into like at what point does it become art which is a fascinating question mm. um there's so many other things that you get to kind of ask yourself when you are you know confronted with sort of this and i guess this also helps us you know sort of go into uh a a a, a contemporary concern in like really the last decade which has been like 
sort of the power of objects um yeah you know if uh like uh if if you're a reader or follower of uh jane bennett mm-hmm. um you know you you might have uh be, be familiar with like ideas of like vibrant matter or thing power this idea right. that objects themselves have some kind of effect and and power on us and you know through art i feel like we can observe that to some extent oh yeah absolutely i mean it's definitely i you know i didn't like vibrant matter when i first read it like the call Mm -hmm. of things and jane bennett's philosophy i i didn't understand it though I, I think, and also I was in grad school and I didn't have time, but... I, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm sold on all of it. There's... <laughs> well, because there's a certain part of it um, where it, get, it gets a, a little dismissive of a, a couple of things. I mean, I understand... I, I understand being too materialistic, obviously. Like, you know, someone... It, someone that you know values maybe we might we might see someone who values objects over per, other pursuits in life that we deem you know uh more righteous or whatever sure um, yeah and i think we look at that through the 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 lens of wealth hoarding and accumulation right um you know, we we have sort of like a Puritan uh, moral judgment on uh-huh. that, uh, and maybe sometimes that is rightfully so. You know, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. We, you know, if you're if if you're Elon Musk or uh, or Jeff Bezos, you know, right, right. I I think those are those are people that don't don't really get to have like if if you found out they had a collection of something extremely valuable it almost like doesn't even seem like a proper hobby because it's like where's the, the challenge of a hobby is finding the things yeah know? exactly yeah my my only issue with bennett i i guess was i i'm i'm a little bit uneasy mm-hmm. about like her take on hoarders uh, okay yeah this is that's what got if, me that's what got me confused I'm, and concerned. And I don't know a ton about psychology, nor do I pretend to. Um, you know, I've got I've got a therapy appointment next week. Maybe I'll maybe I'll ask them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like Bennett is sort of posing uh, hoarders as you know people with just you know a a different relationship to objects and one that is you know not should not be subject to our scorn um yes and that's that's fair in that we should not stigmatize people but also understanding that there is there are severe health actual manifesting health concerns to yes. that person yes. and people around you being a a hoarder right uh so so it, it this is very fraught territory and not and not one where we're coming from a place where again we do not want to stigmatize uh me- mental health uh issues mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. or or you know uh be 
be ableist in maybe our more if if I if I dare to call us neurotypical, um, <laughs> <laughs> if, if I I if if I if I can even call us that, um, it, it, our making it seem like our way of life is is the, right. is, is is somehow better right uh, you, you see what i'm, I'm trying yeah, to say yeah, yeah. i'm just saying like there there is there is a point where we should maybe in, interrogate those mm-hmm, things mm-hmm. A, a little a little more with a little more scrutiny that being said there's also a there is a wealth component i feel like to people that you might read as hoarders like my uncle has the money to have a house big enough to show off his enormous collection of things that I don't really care about but are important to him. I mean, yeah, I guess that's he, he has he has his mansion in uh, you know, uh rural New Jersey where he can show off his collection of Wizard of Oz memorabilia. That is um all right. Hey man, everybody's yeah. got a hobby, I guess. But... Yeah, yeah. Well, he managed to monetize his hobby. Yeah, so I guess. I guess, so. he, I guess he's the genius, and we're yeah. the idiots. <laughs> I guess. But, but you know, if you do not have the luxury of of having a space big enough to hold your things, it can come across as cluttered. It can come across as something that we judge. Um, with hoarding, I I feel like it it it's it's entering a different kind of space. Yeah, if I may too comment on yes. on Bennett's yes. philosophy and uh, idea. Yeah. I I came out of that when I first heard about her and her philosophy mm-hmm. and and the connection to new materialism. I I I I thought about it exactly the same way you did. Of like, yes, okay, I I like this. Uh, mm-hmm. but the hoarders part was a bit off putting because this is dangerous and there can be dangers to having these objects and mm-hmm. quite literally on your life of chemicals of 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 um you know other things it's 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 not great but i mm-hmm. think you know i've revisited her work i've revisited mm-hmm. reading vibrant matter i've had the time so i've mm-hmm. been reading it and it's very interesting and it's worth yeah, maybe, reading maybe maybe you but, can enlighten me a, a little bit well i i don't what, really what she's getting at she has there is criticism on the vital materialist philosophy mm-hmm. there's a big criticism against it mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. you know and it's valid i think part of it is valid of uh, of mm-hmm. you know the whole thing of you're putting the human emotion onto objects and then ultimately mm-hmm. you're just dismissing some other things. You know, I can go on and, and yeah. new materialism finds its way into bodies and other things too. And you know, it's, it's a big, big, big idea, but yeah, what I found interesting about thing power in particular is that like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, on a spiritual standpoint, it makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense, even yeah. in a, in a psychological one yeah. objects. We impose. Mm-hmm. We impose memories, feelings, mm-hmm. and, you know, just honestly mark making on objects. A scratch mm-hmm. on sunglasses, a dent mm-hmm. in a, in a, in a uh, ceramic teacup. Like, these are all yeah. moments where something non-perfect affected the cup, and it's usually human-made mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. non-human-made, and therefore it now is a unique thing. So, yeah. do you know, it, a good alternative reading to Bennett's work that might get some insight to is uh, The Syntax of Objects by mm-hmm. Tim McCrite, which is a great book. Yeah. It's so easy yeah. to read. And it is it it is very short, and it's a poetic interpretation of materialism and memory on objects. And it, you mm-hmm. know, like he talks even about, like, 
and really he's reflecting on a lot of these things about like you know the fact that we have different objects for different seasons that in the winter mm. ice skates are brought out and then they go yeah. away or in the summertime you know the pool might open or a, i don't know if you mentioned yeah. that but you know what i'm saying like we have these relationships to things mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. mean something to us they're not just arbitrary they have a personality yeah. but like what does that mean? And so I feel like with vibrant matter, that was kind of the point and that these things mm-hmm. do attract us. I have lots of things in my house. I used to go to flea markets and I, we both mm-hmm. do this actually, you know, go yeah. to flea markets and we're very attracted to that. I think we're both just, you know, maybe in in tune people that like and pick up all different objects throughout history that in, uh, intrigue us and they yes. beckon us to pick them up. And some people might be more in tune yeah, with that. Definitely, definitely. But there isn't, there is absolutely room to be aware of that and say, is that a good thing? Like, right. you know, and that's the thing, because my criticism of Bannon in this case is just because it exists doesn't mean it's good. That just mm. because you have a call to objects does not mean you should act on it because wow. it can be dangerous. Like, Interesting. I had a revelation with that because I was somebody mm. that, and I, and I actually talked about this in my graduate, you know, seminar classes mm-hmm. of, and I was doing painting from objects too, which that kind of opened my eyes to my new way of working. But like, you know, I was really interested in old artifacts and I still am as a, Mm -hmm. but as a young kid, like in high school and when I was kind of figuring out my personality, it's like, I have Mm -hmm. bottles from the 1800s. I have, you know, the old Coca-Cola ones and I have Mm -hmm. cameras that don't Mm -hmm. work and things and knickknacks that completely are useless, but I like them and they have a personality to me and I would collect Mm -hmm. souvenirs Mm -hmm. and things that, I just found, and I don't even know why, but I liked them. And yeah. part of it might be a nostalgia for a time I never lived in, and part of it might be an yeah. attraction to the object. The problem mm-hmm. is, you know, it, it, you can keep collecting these things. Eventually, two things happen. One, you run out of room. And two, yeah. what are they worth it to you? What is yeah. it worth holding on to something that's not yours? It's not the past that you exist. It's not in mm-hmm. any way doing anything beneficial for you. Right. What do we keep these for? And not that that's yeah. bad or good, but like even even I used to be somebody that was into collecting like you know war stuff, and thankfully, thankfully, mm-hmm. I never fell into like a too deep of a Soviet hole, and never fell into a Nazi one. Thank you know mm-hmm. God, because mm-hmm. a lot of people yeah, accidentally yeah, yeah. do, and it's bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that exists in flea markets for a reason. People sell this stuff because they know people will buy it. But right, I was right. interested in like you know knives or. Uh, right. War medals or clothing from the World War II era that were just like left over, and but I yeah. had this revelation at the at the uh, you know me just gaining consciousness in the middle of a flea market with <laughs> but with my mom of like I don't think I want any of these things because mm-hmm. I don't know if that knife killed someone I don't know right. what the owner of that badge did I don't know this history and I don't really want that in my life. I don't you know, know what's kind of it's kind of hilarious you <laughs> and I went through these weird parallels where I also realized like a certain emptiness in trying to cuz I still consider myself a collector but no longer yeah. a completist. Um right. it's just kind of funny thinking about <laughs> you thinking about the history of knives at a flea market <laughs> versus me realizing like I don't need to collect every beanie baby. <laughs> because you know what i really only like some of these (laughs) i still like them and i play with them right i don't need (laughs) all of them yeah i i i feel that though i completely (laughs) it's kind of hilarious of this parallel 
But it's so interesting, you know, because it's true. You don't need them all. And maybe you do want them. Maybe you do want the full collection, but maybe you don't need it. Or maybe that, that, that attraction, too, of the things that you're getting should be interrogated as to why we need the materials. I, I yeah, I, I like the way that you put it, that objects do have a call. I think Bennett is on the right track there. Yeah. I think you do need the the nuance and the wisdom mm-hmm. to not answer the call sometimes. Yeah, or, some... or or to, to figure out why certain things are calling to you and and whether or not those are good for you. Exactly, exactly. That is the thing I feel like that's missing in that. And maybe I'll bring it. I don't know. Maybe that's where my research can take me and it's part of it. But like that is what I look to approach new materialism or, or material yeah. in general with and that philosophy because yeah. it needs to be put in. T- I, I believe it needs to be, you know, considered because otherwise, what stops you? And yeah. what can? Because I think that's where the, you know, the religion or the the spirituality aspect of it comes yeah. into play a lot more too. Mm-hmm. And those two, both psychological and spiritual, can can work together in this. They they Absolutely. should be. And you know, yeah. Well, uh, I I've been thinking a little bit. I I heard someone on a podcast recently like um put the uncertainty principle Heisenberg's uncertainty principle um into a way that actually intrigued me for the first time because I've always like been aware of it and everything like that um the issue of looking at a particle and it seems to actually behave differently when it is being observed than not observed mm. um and I've I've heard that anecdotally used before and have never been very interested in it. And I just kind of roll my eyes when artists and New Age spiritual people and everyone in the middle of that Venn diagram talk about quantum physics in very broad terms. But I finally heard someone put it in a way that actually intrigued me for once. And I feel like this is where you suddenly understand the temptation of working in spirituality into something like this, which is, if it is indeed true that our observation, or just any observation, changes something, then consciousness itself does have an effect on the universe. And and consciousness has an effect on the material world. And... Hearing it put like that was much more interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, Like, that is like... That's, you know, not... It's it's not unintelligible New Age babble. Right. But it it is... um, It's intriguing enough with the... the, Its implications. Yeah, I think that's really... It's a very curious thing to look into. I feel like it's a good way to put it versus yeah. I feel like the way that it often is. I'm not I'm not entirely familiar with it. I've kind of stayed away from that, to be honest. Right. I guess yeah. it's, well, is I it, mean, it the honest, whole... honestly, honestly good on you. I mean, in part, it it's, is. The is whole it the whole like a tree fingers cat? OK, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm never crazy about that idea because it's mm-hmm. kind of like. Well, you're not the center of the universe. So why does it matter? Like we life goes on mm-hmm. whether or not we exist. And right. that's my, th- I mean, am I right? I don't know. But personally, that makes the most sense. 
So it's, I don't know. It's, I mean, I, I, I can't check with you when one of us dies. I know. Well, it's terrifying. It's a terrifying <laughs> thought. It's, it is this, yes. it, it leaves you with fear. It leaves you with uncertainty. Yeah. And it's like, but at the same time with that kind of like, you know, what is it? It's like nihilistic optimism or something like that. Mm-hmm. Of just like, it is what it is at the end or, or, and, and obviously that phrase can kind of suck, but mm-hmm. it, in a way, like, I don't know. I, I don't think it, you know, there's more to it than that, than just yes. if we don't observe it, it doesn't exist mm-hmm. or it doesn't exist or it doesn't change or does it not. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know, but yeah. I think like, then does that mean that like maybe trees can observe or plants or other creatures or other things that I mean, that, that, is, the, that is the question. Yeah. If, if that is the question, if it is, if a, uh, if a, if a, uh, if a water bear, a tardigrade, can, ob- can <laughs> yeah. does do does light behave? Do do, do photons behave right. differently? Right. When they are observed by you know a rhesus monkey. Right. It's it's it, it is it is interesting. Oh yeah, I. But I think also these are all things that you could perhaps. Uh, you know they're they're not they're not the end all be all themselves Mm -hmm, but they mm -hmm. are things that could point to some kind of relationship um some sort of give and take between our consciousness and material world around us now whether or not you want to you know use that to you know convince a bunch of hippies that you're like a reincarnated lemurian (laughs) alien um (laughs) that's that's a whole other story but if you want to like like joe and i maintain some sort of uh vague newtonian mechanical uh uh godlike force in the universe that exists in tandem with the material world Mm -hmm. and occasionally intersecting but you know uh we still evolved from primates uh like that's that i think is is still worthwhile in being human i think so i mean but but even going back to your experience with things from the past and sort Mm -hmm. of the relationship of that it's got me kind of thinking about uh mummy brown which uh i happen Hmm. to have a tube of right here oh great okay now if you didn't know or if the audience didn't know uh Mummy Brown uh, was a pigment of paint that was popular uh, in the 15 and 1600s and onward for a little bit. Uh, it was pr- it was made from the ground up remains of mummies. Uh, oh, a lot. Yeah. What? <laughs> uh, often from Egypt, uh, sometimes humans, sometimes cats, but also some mummies from the Canary Islands. Great. That's uh, <laughs> awful. Oh, and so many levels yes. to this conversation. This emphasizes yes. my exact point of yeah. like, what? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I God. mean, can, can you imagine making a more cursed painting? Jesus. Um, oh, it's going to be like yeah. Velvet Buzzsaw with like painting in the right, blood or exactly. whatever. Exactly. Well, like, wasn't there a thing with Little Nas X, like, releasing sneakers? Oh, <laughs> uh, with the drop of blood. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I- well, also, there's that. There's that Quran that um, Saddam Hussein had made uh, that was 
entirely written in his blood. That's that's metal. He sucks. Were you about that's... you were about to say cool. You were no, about I to say cool. <laughs> no, Joe, it's not no, cool. I know. I know. He's awful. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is one of those things where um it's a bit of a it's a bit of a conundrum in Islam because and and I think in, in general to humanity. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll like make, like yeah. this wasn't cool to make. No. It's also it's also not cool to destroy it. Um <laughs> you know it's oh. uh you know uh it's its own conundrum uh in and of itself. The the thing the thing about Mummy Brown I think is that you know first of all it sounds like it wasn't a particularly good paint in general. It yeah. uh it uh from the little bit of research I did, it sounds like it, you know, had fat and ammonia in it. Mm, right. uh, so <laughs> those are not things that you want on your, you know, eternal oil painting. It right. often did crack. Um, the brown pigments that it made were pretty desirable for a period of time. Okay. But, so you know, we've now been able to... Um, uh you know recreate that and everything uh the the interesting thing is that i feel like the being used as paint was an afterthought Mm. because originally when it was imported to europe it, it, it was brought in as a medicinal uh for a medicinal purpose right right yeah there was uh this idea that um and this this went back to uh, Greek, Egyptian, and also some Arab philosophers that identified uh, uh, medicinal properties uh, with certain uh, certain compounds. And it was later extrapolated that like, oh, well, these are things found in mummies, so we should turn mummies into medicine. Totally um, makes sense. And like, <laughs> yeah. Christ. no reason not to do that oh, uh, so you know they started importing just so many mummies from raided tombs yeah. in egypt and you know it was apparently like a big uh it, it was a big uh just export game in in mm-hmm. egypt and and uh the middle east isn't that why we're like missing a bunch of them too like there's not as many recorded mum- mummies in these areas like because of this like quite literally that they were eaten. yeah in some part you know it's uh it's it's difficult to say how many were used however there was a big enough uh you know demand and exporting of these that yeah a lot of these uh were raided in the 15 uh and 1600s um you know that that there were just uh warehouses for for mummies you know that is actually it is it is insane and and incredibly disturbing and it's uh it was not without its contemporary criticism at the time you know i think a lot of people were like this is really messed up that those mummies last like there there was recognition at the time that this was barbaric that this was okay um i guess good to hear yeah, that th- there were some philosophers and doctors that were like, not only is this <laughs> not good uh, for for you, but 
but also it's just it's immoral. so sad it that something lasted so long and, and you ate it uh, and, yeah and <laughs> you you've destroyed it yeah like oh my god it's yeah it is and uh, i i guess it does for me at least in sort of our conversation about objects i guess it does raise another question too of like what do we do if we have a painting that was painted with mummy brown like like yeah in 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 the it, it raises an interesting question in the world of repatriation which a lot of museums are are mm. you know slowly coming around on and everything there were uh you know while painting with mummy brown was uh very popular with uh the pre-raphaelite uh, brotherhood if you're familiar with them um edward Byrne jones uh claims that he buried uh his tube of mummy brown when he found out that it was actually made from mummies oh okay well but this is this is this is an interesting uh yeah this is an interesting conundrum like would you re would you repatriate a painting painted with mummy brown to Egypt? Would that be something to hang in a museum in Cairo? Uh or is what 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 do we do with an object I, like this? Yeah, I mean I'm not gonna pretend to know the answer, but I don't know if hanging it's the solution because mm. that infers its hierarchy, right? Or how there's something there. There's a way to mm. do it. Maybe if it's yeah. in highlighting the painted spots itself or where that paint and pigment is coming mm-hmm. out of. I don't know, but it is. Mm-hmm. Th- I think that needs to be investigated further. In all honesty, because yeah. that's a that's gonna, given how important this question is now in this active repatriation, like yeah, we need to kind of do something about that because it's pretty messed up that yeah that was used as a material, and I feel like. Yeah, I mean, God, talk about it being in vain with our or in line with our uh, conversation yeah. regarding materials. The fact that yeah. the the material of paint is literally human remains, and that is uh, <laughs> pretty messed up. Yeah, I yeah, it's um, it's something worth thinking about. Just in and I I mean the 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 whole history of getting pigments used to be so much more difficult. Uh, as yeah, it is. yeah. Um, that, you know, that's, this is why there's even, you know, uh, an association of certain colors with, um, you know, with precious things, because that was such a rare color to get your hands on. Um, right. that, you know, we, we could probably have a whole other exhibit just talking about, um, the history of purple in oh, yeah. Florence, which is immensely interesting. Um, but yeah, this is just all things to think about in sort of the objects that surround us, sort of the the hidden story uh of what uh you know that that we have building blocks provided to us to make anything and right they themselves are in some relation uh made by other people who also used a different set of building blocks mm. to make it, you know, and however far back you want to trace that thread. <laughs> right. Like, right. There's no one 
singular source to any of these things is mm-hmm, the thing to mm-hmm. keep in mind that the person manufacturing those raw materials is using a industrial produced materials made somewhere else to do yeah, so that's true it's a circle in a <laughs> it's, sense it's, there, it's there's never... there's no one pure person there's no one hermit <laughs> out in the middle of the woods that's you know making uh all of our shovels you didn't you, know. you didn't know that there definitely is that's what you <laughs> the, the shovel hermit for. the shovel there's a shovel hermit there's a broom hermit there's the house oh, yeah. hermit that just yes, builds houses they, for everybody they, they only make simple <laughs> machines they only yeah. make the simple machines that we then can make other <laughs> machines out of ah uh, the circle of life <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. oh well that that's the one that makes the wheel right right <laughs> yeah the uh the guy the guy that makes the inclined plane has a very oh. different opinion yes oh yeah. is it really is it really a museum <laughs> exhibition without jokes at the end of it <laughs> i don't oh think so if it, if it isn't i don't know what is <sighs> oh gosh well, well this has this, been th- this was fascinating thank yeah. you so much joe for your dramatic reading at the oh. beginning and uh all of your insights into these things i'm glad that you devote uh, a lot of thought to these things because otherwise I am alone with these thoughts. It's no, it's my, it's my pleasure. It was, it's, it's great to be able to talk about this and thank you again, Sam, for curating this exhibition here. I feel like this pairing is, is really well matched and it led to a really interesting conversation um, mm-hmm. with lots of different sources and material to pull from for people to reference as well and yes no i think about these things quite literally every day so mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. <laughs> given my fascination in everyday objects and i think it's it is mm-hmm. nice to know that other people you in this case also are, are thinking about this and it, it makes me feel less alone mm-hmm, in my mm-hmm. own yeah of, of of being lost in the echo chambers of my mind of being like what is the meaning of this <laughs> does this matter or does it not is 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 a is it good to hoard things or is it not good to hoard things? And I think I think mm-hmm. we're gonna I didn't mention it, but I think we're gonna have to talk about ornament and crime at one point too, oh. and, and minimalism and that whole mm. impact on our lives because that's the opposite argument of the hoarder thing too. Maybe not, mm. maybe more in like horror vacui and and patterns and and the historical implications there, and also the ideas of minimalism and where that comes from. But right, I don't know, something yeah. to look forward to. Well, yeah, debate. it's like it, it's. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that that would be an incredibly interesting yeah, thing to talk about, you know, if like yeah. if you're someone that, you know, uh isn't necessarily a fan if you're like me, you're not a fan of minimalism, but you're like if I had a kid, I'd give him Bauhaus toys. <laughs> yeah, see, here's what I th- it's like I don't want <laughs> I like patterns and I like things i like lots of things but i also yeah. have anxiety and i don't like things piling up so sometimes right, it's right. easier to have less stuff yeah. um yeah so there's that aspect of it too mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. yeah we'll have to we'll have to get into it but i think yes. you know thank you again everybody mm-hmm. for you know being yeah. here and bearing witness mm-hmm. to this discussion uh yes, an exhibition yes. i think it's it's definitely mm-hmm. worth considering and you know mm-hmm now maybe you can go see in your kitchen and find which of your uh you know yeah. plates and and dishes or but also you sh- but uh, yes but also you should check the uh uncertainty principle and like maybe re-listen to some of uh our other exhibitions like see if they've changed see if your observation oh, of them changed. yeah that's a good um, point the the 
the museum as an object may react mm. to your consciousness. Uh, Whoa, you have, that's kind of whack. Yeah. Do, do you have uh, anything that my consciousness can react to going on uh, with you, Joe? <laughs> oh my god. Um, not too much at the moment. I there's a potential upcoming exhibition that I'll know more of soon. So I'll be mm-hmm. updating that here as well as some other things and projects happening kind of behind the scenes. Uh, mm-hmm. But until then, I can't say too much because I also kind of just don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. But Zam, what do you got going on? Um, I've got a couple of things going on. I'm currently uh, in the uh, Orange show uh, at the, the sort of a Halloween themed show mm. at uh, Studio Public House in St. Petersburg. Um, nice. It's a cool little show. You should go check it out. It's also a pretty cool venue. Um, shout out to Luke for uh, including me in that show last mm. minute. Thank you so much. Um, and I'm still at the Then and Now show at SPC. You can check out some of my work there. Um, I'm trying to keep my Instagram and TikTok updated with uh, some of my art. So also, you know, check there. Um, you know. Uh, the, the, the Tumblr, I, uh, you know, I'm hesitant to, uh, plug as much, you know, just because Mm, of, mm. uh, you know, the the weirdness that can come about there. But, uh, you know, if you also have stumbled upon our show because of finding me on Tumblr, welcome. Hello, hello. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming here. You know, you were probably brought here, uh, by the, uh, porn bots that, are obsessed <laughs> with my dinosaur paintings right right no but welcome nonetheless yeah so uh if you uh want to find me after hours i am at xanosaurus on instagram and xanfrid e man on tiktok and i'm at josemino art on instagram if you want to find the museum after hours, we are at Uncanny Museum on Twitter and at Uncanny County Museum on Instagram. And from the Uncanny County Museum, I have been Zan Peters. And I've been Joe Cimino. Bye. Bye. Bye.